it's it's a really I think it's really the founding place if you really want to know um, maybe kind of search into the power of the Holy Spirit and how people experience that it's it may be the most powerful display of, of that since reading anything that you read in the book of Acts. Welcome back to the Remind Podcast. My name is Kyle. I'm here with my buddy, Zach, and we're beginning a multiple-week series on the Holy Spirit viewed here through the historical event of the Azusa Street Revival. I'm really excited for you to listen as we press into walking with the Spirit. Take a listen. Well, welcome back to the Remind Podcast after a couple weeks of break. I'm Kyle, and I'm here with my buddy, Zach. Hey, guys. What's up? And Zach, we've been getting some good feedback on our podcast, and people have been excited about it. So I'm excited to do some, well, one conversation that's probably going to turn into multiple episodes today. What has you excited about the Remind podcast? I think for me, the Remind podcast just really gets me into a frame of mind that I think God is kind of calling me into, which is to, um, well, A, it's it's formational for me because first of all, it helps me develop my mind and start to wrap my mind around um, some of the more intricate parts of the things that we believe. And I think the way that God's calling me into some ministry or to, you know, help the help the the kingdom of God is to be a voice that at least exposes other people to that thought process as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been excited because it's a really good tool for our, our church just to kind of be exposed to some other stuff, which we're going to be doing today. We're going to kind of be exploring like an event from church history that will help us understand what's going on. And I've been really excited just to hear like how it's given people another opportunity to kind of connect and gain some knowledge and some understanding, but also to be better practitioners of the way of Jesus. So today we are talking about the Azusa street revival. Um, Zach, what do you know about the Azusa Street Revival? Or what did you know before I told you we were going to be talking about this and you studied this week? <laughs> um, nothing. I've never heard of the, the Azusa Street Revival in my entire life. Um, but upon studying it, that would make sense because what I do know now is that it is kind of the the breaking into our world or the breaking wide of the, the Pentecostal movement um, worldwide. So it's, it's, it's a really, I think it's really the founding place. If you really want to know, um, maybe kind of search into the power of the Holy spirit and how people experience that it's, it may be the most powerful display of, of that since reading anything that you read in the book of acts. So, yeah, I, Full disclosure, wanted to do this topic because I have to do this topic. So I'm six days away from being done with my Masters of Divinity uh, celebration noises. And we uh, are, I'm in, I'm in a church history class and I was asked and required to do a project on a person or event from American, his, American Christian history. And so 
I chose the Azusa Street Revival because, to Zach's point, it's because it's the moment when kind of the global Pentecostal and charismatic movement is born. And it caught my attention. It was something I wanted to look at because we are a church that is intentionally growing in its dependence on the Holy Spirit. We're trying to be a word spirit church, a word spirit church. So not choosing either or, but both and and embracing both uh, how scripture grows people and how the spirit empowers people. And I mean, for a while now, we've had a pretty strong charismatic or Pentecostal undertone at Regen that's coming more and more to the front. I mean, we had somebody this past Sunday in one of our virtual prayer rooms after the gathering experienced physical healing. And we have people that are receiving prophetic words. In fact, in a future podcast, we're going to bring somebody from our community that has a pretty clear one and just kind of talk about his experience and how he's growing in that. But I think when we look at how the Holy Spirit has worked in the past, it helps us do two things. I think it, first of all, helps us further embrace what God wants to do, especially as we think about everybody that is more apostolic and prophetic that I can hear around the church globally is saying revival is coming and COVID-19 might be the crisis that precedes it. But as we look at the past two of what God's done, it also helps us avoid the errors and the excess, the errors and the excess of our ancestors. And so I think that helps us do it. I mean, God wants a different church on the other side of this. And so I want us to be attentive to that. And I think there's some things that we can learn from what God did in the early 1900s at Azusa Street. So what is the Azusa Street Revival? Um, The Azusa Street Revival took place from April 1906 through sometime early 1909 in Los Angeles. It was, it, 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 the Azusa Street Revival occurred under the leadership of William J. Seymour. He's, we'll talk about him. He's an interesting guy. He is the son of illiterate slaves from Louisiana. And the Azusa Street Revival is considered the birth of the global Pentecostal movement. And just to maybe build a contrast real fast, Pentecostal and charismatic mean similar things, but they're different. So Pentecostal is a word that we use to describe churches and Christians who belong to expressly Pentecostal denominations. So the four square church, for example, charismatic is more of like an adjective that describes churches of any breed that have a growing dependence on the Holy spirit. So we would say that we are a church with some charismatic leanings we are not a Pentecostal church because denominationally we are not aligned with a Pentecostal denomination. So, but it is the yeah, birth of the, go ahead. Let me I to pop in right there and I don't want to take us too far on a rabbit trail, but can, can we go like, can we go a little bit deeper into where does the term Pentecostal even come from? Great question. So as evidence in the Azusa street revival and in Pentecostal churches, they view Pentecost which is an event recorded in Acts 2. Pentecost is actually a a feast for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It was one of their feasts. Um, Pentecost was the time in the church, in the early church. So Jesus uh, rises. He spends 40 days with his disciples. He ascends into heaven. uh, And then they wait in Jerusalem. They tarry, the King James Version says, which is a word that the Pentecostals will use. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out 
and there were flames above people's heads. This is all recorded in Acts 2, and people start speaking in tongues, which in that particular case meant I was speaking a language that was not native to me, but that other people could understand. And so Pentecostals view the events of Pentecost in particular, and they read the book of Acts in such a way to say that that event, the book of Acts, are not just descriptive of the early church. It's not just an account that we can learn from. They would say that those events are prescriptive, that they prescribe or lay out how the church should still be. And so Pentecostals in particular place a lot of emphasis on baptism by the Holy Spirit, evidence by speaking in tongues. They really seek that experience. And so charismatics would differ because while there's maybe an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, um, not every charismatic, me included, would say that speaking in tongues are an evidence of baptism by the Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure about the legitimacy of that idea sometimes in scripture, which we can get into later. But yeah. that would be what Pentecostal means is this massive this, this emphasis on Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2 and seeking to repeat and experience what happened then right now in our midst. Right. So that feast back, uh, that initial Pentecost, which, I mean, Pentecost was happening for thousands of years. Right. But that specific one was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Okay. So they want to take that moment and then just have that be the experience of the Christian uh, faith all the time. Like that's Okay. So, and all of that happened that was not like a normal way of thinking about things. That was not a, that was, this is a relatively new, this is a new development. This is a new development in church history that there are tremors of in the late 1800s into the turn of the century. William Seymour was discipled by a guy named Charles Parham uh, in Kansas. And then uh, William Seymour ended up in Los Angeles to pastor a church that he was kicked out of because he was preaching on baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this moment, the Azusa Street Revival, is really when this kind of comes bursting forth. And so as April 1906, early 1909, Azusa, uh, William Seymour kind of goes out to L.A. This is good. Let's talk about this. So uh, William Seymour, disciple by a guy named Charles Parham, who preached, Charles Parham preached a lot about and taught a lot about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. William Seymour is invited to pastor a church in Los Angeles and he gets there. And after a week he's kicked out because of his preaching about the baptism of the Holy spirit. But a family in that church who was really stirred by his preaching invited him to come live with them. And he started doing prayer meetings in their living room that grew and grew and grew to the point they had to move to another house that was bigger. And then that group of people purchased a building at 312 Azusa street. It was built in 1888 and they founded the Azusa Street Mission. And it made its public debut in the Los Angeles Daily Times on April 18, 1906, which is interesting because it's the very same day as the great San Francisco earthquake. So one of the things we can talk about is how crisis precedes renewal and revival. And so there was the crisis. So William Seymour is pastoring and leading the Azusa Street Mission, and it grew like gangbusters. They would have services or gatherings seven days a week at 10 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7.30 p.m., and like one would often run into the other because they'd be long. Uh, they were spontaneous. 
there was always uh, an effort to authentically respond to God's presence in worship. So sometimes that meant a lot of singing. And by the way, they would also sing in tongues. They called that singing in spirit. That idea of like going from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Like you'd think that those would be individual services, but actually they just blend into each other. Yeah, but like, so like you showed up at 10 and we would still be worshiping at 2.45. And I feel like we hear that from like Pastor Guillermo and Pastora um, Adria. Yeah. In like the church in Cuba and like at the, from, from your experience down there, that's like what they're doing. And, you know, it seems like they're having similar experiences. Well, and they're having it for two reasons. One is a real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And two, there's a cultural element, right? Where Cubans have a different relationship with time than white Americans. And really, I mean, William Seymour is African-American. He's the son of slaves. And the Azusa Street Mission, one author who I particularly like on this, uh, his name is Cecil M. Robeck. Uh, He's kind of the master of this topic. He's done a lot of research on this. He would say that the Azusa Street Mission was an African-American church that white people attended and we'll get into that being so rare in a minute but so they also just as a culture the whole church just had a different relationship with time so i mean black churches today will worship for a really long time similar with the church in cuba so there's a cultural element and a spiritual element where this spontaneous and authentic response to god's presence you know a sermon could be 15 minutes and the rest could be worship the sermon could be two hours there could be a lot of prayer there could be uh, message in tongues, a, a prophetic word, all these kinds of things that would stretch the service. So like one service would often bleed into another. And those who came to this mission, William Seymour, the foundation of his preaching was, the foundation of his preaching was baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so people came to receive that baptism and they grounded that theology in Acts uh, in Acts 2, which is a further expression of the fulfillment or, or, or the fulfillment of the promises from Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And so the Azusa Street Revival saw themselves inheriting that promise, inheriting that promise. And uh, people were coming uh, to experience that. And as people came, I mean, this predominantly African-American church became multi-ethnic and, and it was led by an interracial, interracial, intergenerational, interracial, intergenerational staff of men and women. I like that. Good blend. Yes. Intergener. I mean, it, it, the Azusa, this was, this was unprecedented. This is what's super interesting and even unique about this experience is that the Azusa street mission and the revival would gather blacks, whites, native Americans, Hispanics, Asians under one roof. And it was led by men and women, African-Americans, white people, uh, Asians. I mean, this interracial intergenerational staff, and this was absolutely scandalous. I mean, the Azusa street mission was in the newspaper in LA all the time because it was so scandalous. So listen to this quote from one Los Angeles newspaper. It's, it's not appropriate. So um, it would not be considered politically correct today. 
the, the <laughs> journalist says, a lanky black wench took the center of the stage. The most noticeable things about her were her neck and mouth. These are kind of racial slurs. Her neck was remarkable for its length and her mouth for its width. When she opened that mouth, there was nothing to do but dodge or be engulfed by the undertow. She was the orator of the evening and felt the hand of God laid on her heart to preach to the shepherds. Another paper noted at a different time, all classes of people gathered in the temple last night. There were big Negroes looking for a fight. There were little fairies dressed in dainty chiffon who stood on the benches and looked on with questioning wonder in their baby blue eyes. There were cappers from North Alameda Street and sedate dames, that would mean like, as my English teacher said in middle school, women of ill repute, prostitutes, and sedate dames from West Adam Street. They were all ages, sexes, colors, nationalities, and previous conditions of servitude, which means, I mean, early 1900s, you can still meet people who, you know, were in some sort of service role, sometimes even enslaved. And so um, there was that. And, and, And for the people that get, so from the outside looking in, like non-Christians, I mean, this was scandalous. Black people and white people in the early 1900s did not hang out. Women did not have a big role in leadership. Um, But from the inside, the leaders really felt like this was uh, heaven coming to earth. I mean, the picture of heaven in Revelation is every tribe and tongue and nation gathering around the throne. And for them, for the leaders, they said, this is heaven coming to earth. Um, And what's also nuts, Zach, is that with this is like a, what, a three-year revival, right? April 1906 through early 1909. And in that time, the apostolic faith, and that's kind of what they viewed themselves as spreading apostolic faith, the faith of the apostles. It spread like wildfire first across the United States and across the globe within just this three-year period. I mean, by September 1906, so a handful of months after this had started, there were evangelists of the apostolic faith, preaching baptism by the Holy Spirit, looking for evidence of tongues, all up and down the West Coast in Portland and San Francisco, all over. By December of 1906, so just like six, seven months later, um, there were they were in people from who had received a baptism of the Holy Spirit at the Azusa Street Mission and commissioned as missionaries by the Azusa Street Mission were in Denver, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, and check this out, Northeast Ohio, Alliance, Akron, and Cleveland. This idea of the speaking, the evidence of speaking in tongues. Okay. I don't want to go all the way into that, but just the, just centered on the word evidence. Okay. I, I'm, I think that we can be attracted to that word evidence. Like, yeah. you know, we talk about people of peace. Like we're going out and we're looking for somebody that listens. Yeah. We're looking for somebody that welcomes. We're looking for somebody that serves us. Right. That's a person of peace. When somebody checks all three boxes, we're like, whoa, right. God's here, whether they know it or not. And this yeah. is where we start kind of like uh, burrowing in. We can start to make a place around this person and, and see what's up. Right. Um, it's not as objective as somebody speaking in, you know, again, I think we need to go down another trail later on about what the definition of tongues is. Okay. It's not as objective as somebody speaking in tongues. These people are going up and down the, the East coast, the West coast, you know, Midwest specifically looking for this one thing. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they hear that, it's, 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 it's undeniable. So like, of course, right. of course that's something like that would be very appealing. Right. I mean, I, I don't know what question to ask there, but I just wanted to point out that like, that would be appealing to find that level of evidence. Yeah. Well, God. I think it, it, it's rooted in, um, I mean, 
the Pentecostal movement is birthed out of the Wesleyan movement and John Wesley's kind of thinking of Christian perfection. And we can get into that too, but, and that was a lot about like these vis the Wesleyan movement is about these kind of visible, tangible experiences that assure us of our salvation. Okay. Mm -hmm. John Wesley considered himself a Christian for many years and then on a ship coming back from the United States, we should have a podcast series on John Wesley sometime. Uh, he ha is with these Moravians who are these German uh, pietists and they're praying and he's like shaking in his boots because they think this ship is going to break apart. They're caught in a storm. The Moravians are fine. They're singing. And he has this realization, like, I don't know if I have assurance of faith. Like, I don't know if I really know the Lord. And so he uh, ends up hearing Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans read. And he says, I have my heart strangely warmed. And so already in Wesleyanism that gives birth to the holiness movement that we're talking about is this sense of, I need this sign of, of assurance. And so when we speak of evidence, I mean, what they were doing is they were going about and preaching. It's great that you've been justified by faith, but there is another work of the Holy Spirit called sanctification. And when you experience sanctification, when you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you will then speak in tongues. And so people sought after that, to your point, people personally sought after that because I want that. I want to know that I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit. I want to experience that kind of power. I want to experience that kind of higher life. And, and so they, it, you can see why that happened and, and tongues just to name it. I mean, and, and let me just kind of give a quick snapshot of some of this. I mean, the idea of ev tongues being evidence versus tongues being a gift. I mean, Paul talks about tongues being a gift in first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Mm -hmm. This is a big kind of difference in Pentecostal charismatic movement that, that it stirs up, especially Pentecostal churches that tongues is an evidence of a second work of the Holy Spirit, which we even need to discuss is a second work of the Holy Spirit, a valid biblical insight. Tongues, put simply, are speaking in an utterance that is not your native language, whether through prayer as like a divine revelation that is interpreted in a gathering, or as we see in the book of Acts, like a missionary tool to proclaim the gospel to someone not of your language. And so it's speaking in an utterance or a language that is not your own. And it was that experience that was the hallmark of the Azusa Street Revival. I mean, what would happen is you'd go, you came to this seeking a baptism by the Holy Spirit. I mean, some people came because they just needed to see like, what are all these white and black people doing in the same building? This doesn't happen. Like, I need to come and watch this. And then right. some of those people, I mean, they would have a, they would experience the new birth. I mean, they would hear the word of God preach. They would place their faith in Christ. They would go forward. They would be baptized by the spirit in that minute and start speaking out in tongues. I mean, they had an undeniable encounter with God that totally transformed them. So of course they're getting on a train and wanting to tell other people to go have this experience. They want other, you know, I mean, that's the core of the way of Jesus, right? I've had well, this. Yeah, it's one, I it's want one way of truth. It's that experiential truth. Yeah. Like and, it's the one apologetic that can't be taken away from anybody. Zach and I had an amazing conversation about the events at the Azusa Street Revival that's just breaking a whole category of conversations open around the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. 
and we're going to be sticking with it. We talked about the Azusa Street Revival for an hour and a half. So we're going to break up this conversation into multiple episodes. So stay tuned. Next time we're going to talk about the cultural context going on in the United States that led to the Azusa Street Revival and more. Stay tuned. Grace and peace. <laughs>